This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post's political podcast. I'm Rob Parsons, the Yorkshire Post's political editor, and what a varied episode we have for you this week. Our guest today is the Conservative Morley MP, Andrea Jenkins, who will be talking about one of her big areas of interest and something she's been lobbying hard on recently, namely animal welfare. So we'll be talking about uh, pet theft and puppy smuggling, as well as the intensive farming methods and what impact Brexit and future trade deals might have on those. Uh, Andrea actually has her own podcast on animal welfare issues. So if you're an animal lover, you'll want to hear, I'm sure, what she has to say. Uh, But before we get onto that, let's talk about a topic that also fires up very strong feelings, and that's the issue of Leeds-Bradford Airport and its proposed development, which would involve a £150 million new terminal. And if you want a sense of the kind of interest it's provoking, uh, in the last few days, climate activists have travelled down to Westminster to hand-deliver a 54,000 signature petition to the government, calling for a public inquiry into the plans. So we're all currently awaiting the next move from Community Secretary Robert Jenrick as he, like the rest of us, attempts to weigh up the competing arguments put forward on climate change and the interests of the region's economy. Now, someone who's been following this story all the way from the beginning is Mark Cassie, the Yorkshire Post's business editor, and he's joining us today to talk about where things currently stand. Mark, hello. Hello, Rob. How are you? Very good. I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. So, well, well, there might be a few people who don't know what all the fuss is about with Leeds Bradford Airport. Can you just explain initially what what are the airport bosses proposing to do? Um, so, what Leeds Bradford Airport wants to do, and what its parent company AMP Capital is prepared to fund, is to demolish the current terminal building, which um, we all know is not the nicest uh, in terms of passenger experience. Um, They want to knock that down and they want to construct in its place a 150,034,000 square foot terminal building that will be over three floors. It'll have the highest possible environmental rating and perhaps most importantly, it will be situated on a different part of the airport site. It will be situated closer to Scotland Road, which is the actual location of it isn't important to the the listener. What is important is that the big problem that Leeds Bradford Airport has is accessibility. You can only get there by road or bus. It's in the middle of a very uh, densely populated residential area and getting there can be somewhat tr- uh, troublesome. But where they're proposing to build this new terminal, it will be closer to a proposed railway link station, uh, which would be situated on the Leeds to Harrogate line, um, which would allow people to access the airport much more comfortably. Um, and it would also hugely improve the passenger experience and would allow them to attract more airlines and fly to more destinations because currently... We all know that um, there's a huge propensity of people driving in their cars or travelling by rail to Manchester or to Heathrow to fly to destinations. 
a former chief executive of Leeds Bradford Airport once told me that the airport was a bucket and spade airport. And by that, he meant that it's a place where you go for a weekend break or somewhere with your family. There isn't a huge amount of commercial business travel options from the airport. So that's the plan. And as I say, the airport bosses there have managed to convince the parent company to fund this in full. Um, so they're confident that it can go ahead. It's worth pointing out that Leeds is the fourth biggest city region in the country, but it's got the 15th biggest airport. We don't exactly roll out the red carpet when people uh, arrive by air into the city and they're more likely to arrive in Manchester and get the train over. So in terms of inward investment, in terms of the message we send about uh, the region and its economy and its culture, it's not great. You often hear uh, about the airport's plans being described as an expansion. Uh, and I know you don't like that phrase. I've, I've seen on Twitter you, you disputing that. Can you explain why it's not an expansion? The reason I don't like it being called an expansion is it implies that it's going to be a gigantic uh, step forward, both in terms of the geographical footprint of the airport, perhaps even alludes to the fact that there'll be additional runways, and it alludes to the fact as well that um, there's going to be an increase in passenger numbers. Now, listen, Leeds Bradford Airport already has a pre-existing planning application in to rejig the airport and to increase its ability to fly passengers. It currently flies 4 million a year. It wants to up that to 7 million a year. That application has already been agreed by Leeds City Council. So the airport has got no plans to fly any additional services off the back of this. But somehow in the sort of debate around this issue, it's been turned into almost almost like a referendum, essentially, on air travel itself, which we all know, and I don't think anyone would dispute, is... Um, is, is uh, contributed to emissions um, which damage the environment. But look, the, the plan is already there in place to increase passenger numbers to 7 million. This has got absolutely nothing to do with that. It just wants to make the airport more attractive to carriers and to passengers. That's the sum total of it. And I don't think it can achieve its um, goal of doing those things if it, if it has the pre-existing terminal building, which was built in the 1960s, is very dilapidated and doesn't offer a good experience to passengers. So I don't think it's an expansion it's an improvement or it's a revamp or it's an upgrade would be a much more accurate way of describing it using language. Um, but in terms of, you know, this idea yeah. that we'd have additional runways, you know, we all saw the Ferrari over the additional runway at Heathrow. This has got absolutely no parts whatsoever in this debate. It's an upgrade of a terminal building. And that's where the debate starts and finishes, frankly. And what stage are things up to at the moment? It feels like it's been rumbling on for, 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 for years, but there's been various different bodies that have been sort of weighing in on it what's where were things at currently um so i, I first broke the story that they wanted to do with, with the airport in january of last year and then of course we all know what happened to the world uh, during that period but listen there was a it went before planners at Leeds city council in february the debate took eight hours which is an absolute marathon session uh, by anyone's estimation so no one can argue that it wasn't properly scrutinized there was more than 25 objectors spoke at that meeting as well as uh, representatives of the, the airport and the wider business community uh, throwing in their opinions. It was approved by Leeds City Council by nine votes to five. So, you know, this is elected, democratic, uh, democratically elected people in our city um, who have the mandate to make decisions on such matters. They approved it. Uh, and then it's been called into the Department for Communities and Local Governments uh, to have that uh, scrutinised and the Community Secretary of State, uh, Robert Jenrick, has um, essentially kicked it into the long grass for the time being. He wants more time to have a look at it. Uh, so rather frustratingly, we are kind of once again in the hands of Whitehall, rather than having the decision made locally where people know the, the issues and can properly debate them and scrutinise them. We're now 
of essentially waiting for people in Whitehall to to sign this off. Um, the but the time frame from when that's going to happen, I have no idea. I don't think anyone does, other than perhaps a small handful of mandarins in in Westminster. But we're we're in their hands currently. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess it's uh, uh, it was around a similar time, I think, that Robert Jenrick decided to call in the uh, application for the big coal mine in in Cumbria, yeah. and there's a sort of similar similar uh, topics and uh, considerations in play. Um, so I guess. Uh, I want to put to you something that uh, we've quoted in an article this week. Uh, as I said, a load of climate activists have descended on Westminster to hand in this petition with tens of thousands of signatures. And one of the protesters, uh, Martha Dacum, said, this is not just about Leeds Bradford Airport. We're on the brink of climate and ecological breakdown, yet airports throughout the country are trying to expand. Approving Leeds Bradford Airport's application would open the floodgates of expansion at other airports. Now, obviously, bearing in mind what you just said about expansion, I'm sure you 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 take issue with, with with some of that. But do do you, do you do you understand the concerns that people like Martha Dakem have? I absolutely understand them, I and mean, listen, I applaud Martha and her colleagues for having the um, the sort of activism zeal to uh, to pursue this so readily. But um, listen, on the environmental score, let, let's let's be very factual about this. No one is disputing that air travel is uh, a polluting way of travelling and getting around. My response to that would be, do we really think that um, blocking this application to get a new terminal building in, not let, not allowing it to go ahead, is that really going to result in a net reduction in people choosing to fly around the world? I think that's, frankly, just not got any factual basis. All that's going to happen is people are going to get into the cars, they're going to get on the M62 and they're going to drive to Manchester or they're going to drive down to Heathrow. So you kind of have the worst of all worlds. We have... Um, a very poor aviation offering in our city region, which massively holds back our economy and people's job prospects and the ability for us to be a thriving European city. And we have the pollution still from the air travel and a, an increase from the, the car journeys as well. Um, what I would say on this as well, and this is extremely important, um, and I, I haven't heard anyone really from the um, uh, those opposing the airport really kind of come up with a, 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 a valid response on this. Is I mean, let, let's just look at what's happened with the travel industry in general. Let's think about electric cars. Five years ago, I would suggest that none of us really knew anyone who had an electric car, or if we did, it tended to be a very small number of very wealthy people that had them. Now electric cars are becoming increasingly commonplace. You see chargings. I mean, look, think about our office building. We haven't been there for a while, but there used to be one charging point for an electric car. Now there's dozens. Um the pressure is on from politics to business of all kinds to reduce your emissions. We look at what Joe Biden's been doing. We look at our own government's target. We look at what the EU's doing. We look at every government around the world. They're all pressurizing industries to reduce their emissions. And that is inevitably going to happen with the aviation industry. Airbus is already talking about having a low emission aircraft potentially being able to start flying in five years. We're making what, in my opinion, is... You know, we, we can't base this on short-term thinking. The aviation industry will, for want of a better expression, start to greening itself in short order. And if we disallow this application to have a decent airport in the Leeds City region, all we're doing is disadvantaging the entire region because those planes will be taken off from Manchester, Newcastle, Heathrow, Gatwick, you name it, and we won't have it because we chose to go down this route in Leeds. So I, I really would urge people to not engage too much in short-term thinking. I'm very confident that the industry will innovate to reduce their emissions. And listen, I completely sympathise with their argument. Aviation, as I said, is a very polluting way to get around, but we can't, 
and ignore the fact that international travel is a part of modern life, perhaps not so much in the last 15 months, but people like to travel, they like to see the world. And, you know, frankly, when my daughters grow up, I want them to be able to see as much of the world as possible. I still intend to travel as much as I can. You know, we can't just cut them off at the knees, essentially, for by basing our thinking on current technologies. So that's something I'm very, very keen to put out there. And, you know, let's be clear, the Olympic Games in 2012, the M62, the M1, the London Underground, all of these things at the time, people didn't want them to go ahead because they were expensive or they didn't like the look of them. Innovation and progress comes at a cost, but I think the return on investment for having a a first-class airport and a first-class economy could be a really strong one for the region, and I really hope it goes ahead. Mark, thank you very much. It's uh, I guess it'll be all eyes on Robert Jenrick in the coming uh, weeks and months to see what he uh, comes up with in this area, and it's going to run and run the debate on this, I'm, I'm sure. So, uh, Mark, thank you, thank you again for that. And um, let's now uh, hear what our guest today has to say. Our guest today on Pod's Own Country will be talking about a subject that will be very close to the heart to people's hearts, namely animal welfare. Britain is said to be a, a nation of animal lovers, and a poll in 2019 revealed that 15% of us love our pets more than we love our partners. But despite this, cruelty to animals is alarmingly common, whether it's organised dog fighting or cop fighting, animal abuse in the factory farming industry, or the cruelty and neglect inflicted on pets by their owners. Um, according to the Humane Society, the shocking number of animal cruelty cases reported every day is just the tip of the iceberg, and most cases are never actually reported. So someone who's taken a keen interest in this is the Conservative MP for Morley in West Yorkshire, Andrea Jenkins, who has her own animal welfare podcast, Andrea's Animal Welfare, and has raised issues such as uh, trophy hunters in Parliament. But something she's particularly interested in is the issue of puppy smuggling and dog theft, and that's what she's here to talk about today. So, um, Andrea, welcome to our podcast. How, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for bringing me on, and um, I love your wallpaper. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> good, good. You're not the first person to compliment my all Keely wallpaper, so thank you, thank you for that. Um, so... You, um, as a starting point, what got you interested in animal welfare in the first place? You were just saying before we came on that you, you're a, a vegetarian, uh, you have been a, a vegan. What, what's, what's sort of the, what's, what's got you interested in this uh, initially? Um, I mean, I've always been interested in it. I mean, I was, even as a child, bringing home the, I remember bringing home a three-legged stray dog one time <laughs> uh, when I was little that I saw on the street. And so it, it's something I've always been interested in and hence why I'm a vegetarian, et cetera, and I was a vegan for five years. Um, but, I mean, I've always raised money for animal welfare um, charities as well through my singing. And when I become an MP, I, I then looked at more at the policy side. So I, I've worked with... Um, Brian May on the, um, you know, fox hunting um, and the badgical, because I'm very passionately against both of those. Um, I've worked with Mark Abraham, the TV vet on Lucy's Law um, um, re regarding um, puppy smuggling. Um, and, um, yeah, and I've done a lot with the Dogs Trust on puppy smuggling over the years as well and held several informative um, briefings and receptions in Parliament um, on, on this issue. And also even with Bill Oddy on Fragois, because the thing is, when we was part of the EU, we couldn't ban it in this country. 
um, because of, um, you know, France, it being a delicacy, but that's something we, you know, um, that is a proposed Brexit opportunity. Yeah, we'll get onto that topic uh, a, a little later. But on the subject of um, puppy smuggling and and, and dog theft, I, I was um, the Yorkshire Post reported uh, a few weeks ago that uh, this is happening in Yorkshire and uh, confirmed dog thefts climbed to twenty five in the past year compared with eighteen in the previous year. And there's talk of demand for designer puppies sort of rocketing over the course of the pandemic. So what's going on with this? Like, why is this, why is this happening? Yeah, I mean, um, so if we can take it back first, because puppy, puppy smuggling, because um, it's all sort of joined in a way. Um, so if we can touch on puppy smuggling first, if that's okay, then move on to the pet theft. I mean, um, while I was part of the EU, um, you know, the pet travel scheme was brought in in 2012. And what that allowed it, um, for was, you know, one person um, it could bring five um, pets, um, as in dogs, um, over on that, that one passport. So you'd be getting, you know, men with vans, um, puppy smugglers, um, you know, three or four men in a van, each being able to bring five puppies themselves and bring them over to the UK. But their start in life was really dire. I mean, I actually got unwittingly got a... a, a, a Godiva, my mini schnauzer from a puppy farm in Lincolnshire 11 years ago. So it's so easy to get duped. I mean, it, it presented itself um, as a as a wonderful place. It was clean. Um, it even had somewhere where you, you, you could buy all the pet beds and food and everything. But this place ended up getting closed down. Um, and I remember Godiva, my little dog, she couldn't even, um, she'd never seen grass before. And such a sad start in life that she started howling when I put her in the garden. Um, so, um, so the pet travel scheme, I think, has got a lot to be answered for. And um, I mean, imported puppies in the UK is has got a street value of of over three million pounds. And um, I mean, I noticed in the Google searches, um, you know, during lockdown, so buy a puppy increased something like one hundred and sixty six percent, which um, it was a lonely time for people. So more people was um, looking for pets and, and for companionship, but it, it was exasper exasperating the situation with this illegal puppy um, farming. So um, so I've worked with a dog's trust on this um, issue um, over the years and, um, and Mark Abraham, as I said, the TV vet. But if I can just sort of, if you don't mind, give some sort of tips on what what um, came out of working with these and what people should look for to make sure that they are, um, you know, getting a, a, a dog what, um, you know, is 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 bred in a in a in a kind way. Of course, yes, yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. It'd be good for people to hear some of the tips. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing that Mark Abraham was really pushing, and the Dogs Trust is, you know, go and see the puppy. There's so many adverts out there on on pre-love and in, even on eBay, um, and and always be mindful if you see pictures of the puppies where they're not with their mother. And when you actually visit to collect the pet, if it's not with a mother, then alarm bells can um, should start ringing because the puppy smugglers they even um, have can rent a place and and um, make out you going to somebody's home to actually sell these puppies who I said have had a horrible start in life. Um, so always ask to see the mum. Um, and ask if it's been imported. And if it's under 15 weeks, then that means it would have been illegally imported. 
Um, and, and expect the breeder to be asking lots of questions as well, because a responsible breeder should be making sure that their puppies go to a good home. So the warning signs are that if, if you can't view the puppy with the mum, um, there's no image of the mum on the advert. She's just it's just image on the um, pups on their own. Um, and um, if the seller is offering multiple breeds for sale, um, this is what happened with, with me, actually, um, when I got Godiva. Um, or offering to deliver you the puppy see that as a warning sign because um, I mean you do sort of think oh well at least that puppy's going to a good home but it's much better if we you know if if we get um, puppies from other routes and then and then there won't be a demand for this um, so this is sort of where we are at with it I mean Lucy's law which was um, Mark Abraham's um, baby so to speak um, in April 2020 so last year we um, we had a ban on third party sales that came into force in England, which requires all dogs under six months of age to be bought directly from the breeder or from a rescue centre. So that is certainly a move in the right direction with this. But I'm happy to touch on the pet theft side unless you've got any questions on that. Yeah, well, I mean, with so the fact that Lucy's Law has come in and, and means that the sales have to be via a breeder, does that mean that puppy smuggling is much more difficult to do now or, or can it still can it still happen if the if the the people who, who want to do it are sort of sufficiently determined yes i mean it, it can still happen because they find more ways of cracking down i'm sorry of of, of actually avoiding um the law um but i know the early this month the government launched a government action plan for animal welfare and this actually includes looking at puppy smuggling and um, they're actually um, you know working with the crime unit to, to actually see ways of, of how these unscrupulous puppy smugglers um, avoid um, the law um, and look at ways on how we can um, catch them at it tougher penalties for puppies um, um, smuggling to deter deceitful sellers. Um, but I think the most important thing that we can do is raise awareness because if there's not a demand there, then um, there's um, it's going to be harder for them to um, sell it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, like you say, it's, it's a combination of uh, you know, the, the fact that these uh, the puppy smugglers are, are able to do it and also the demand yes. that during the pandemic people uh, you know they want companionship, and they they uh, you can, for understandable reasons, think that getting getting a puppy might be a might be a good idea. Yes. Um, so so with with um with Godiva, your 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 mini schnauzer life, did yes. the fact when you, when you discovered that that uh, it come from a, a puppy farm, like did that change sort of how uh, how how you treated Godiva, or did like, did, no. did you feel like you needed to take 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 more more care of them after after that? Um, I mean, I didn't actually find out until I became an MP. Um, and it was actually working with, you know, the charities, etc. And I happened to mention, um, I won't mention the name of this, um, the premises where I bought it from. But um, it was because I, you know, um, um, I got it from Lingashire. You don't keep an eye on the, on the news there. But it was actually speaking to these charities and said, oh, well, do you realise that that got closed down? That was one of the puppy farms. But no, I mean, Godiva, she's, she's a wonderful dog. And she's with us. She's eleven now. And um, and but I just think I still think back to that sad moment um, when she, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, she, she'd never even seen grass. And she's she's a very clingy dog, bless her. But also, I mean, um, I, I'd always recommend as well um, getting um, um, a, 
a rescue puppy. Um, a couple of years ago, I've got a rescue centre in, in, in my village where I live in the constituency. And I got Susie, a rescue centre. I was actually just going on a constituency visit. And um, Cameron from my team saw me falling in love with this puppy, not puppy, this um, this dog, Susie, um, a little terrier. And she's now a welcome member of our family. So even doing that route is wonderful, giving that, that dog, a, a, you know, a better chance of yeah, absolutely. Well, that's lovely, lovely to hear. Um, so on the on pet thefts, which is, I guess, is a, a related but sort of distinct um, issue. So my understanding is that at the moment, pet theft is not classed as a separate offence to theft of personal property. And that's what campaigners say should be should be changed. I think so there's the theft, the theft Act 1968, under which dog thefts can be punished by up to seven years imprisonment but the, the the issue seems to be that this doesn't take into account the sort of emotional impact that victims of, of pet theft face i mean is that your pretty much your position position on yes this? yeah completely i mean um even um i was campaigning during the local elections as most mps were to, to support their councillors um, candidates and um, I got this on the doorstep only in the last um, few weeks um, where I've got residents who said to me um, that it came up several times that you know they've got a dog they don't even take their their dog out for a walk at the moment because of how pet theft has massively increased I mean I, I mean apparently I mean I've got some stats here um, in 2020 an estimated um, 2,400 dogs were reported stolen um, loss or stolen to the police, and which is a 19% rise compared to the previous year. So it is a massive increase, but you're so right. I mean, this is so important that um, there's always got to be a consequence of actions. And I always believe in, in being you know, strong where law is concerned. But I know that the government has now set up this um, it's a pet task force, and um, they're going to gather evidence contrib contributing to the perceived rise of thefts. And they're actually going to learn lessons um, from... Um, from thefts such as mobile phone, metal theft, um, and and really see how you can trace items and um, and and how the market illegal market market engages um, with the public, so we can help to recover these you know these stolen pets. Um, but I mean, there's actually um, yeah, I mean, speaking to charities, um, there's actually some advice. I mean, for example, the Blue Cross um, offers some excellent guidance. Um, they always say, you know, always microchip um, your collar and ID tag on your pets. Um, but don't put the dog's name on the tag as it makes it easier for the pets to load, the, load them away. Um, and which is something I would never have thought of because it automatically we put the dog's name, um, but I think that's such a good idea. And and out and about, if you see strangers asking lots of questions um, about your dog, um, really start um, varying the routes and times that you that you walk. And and importantly as well, make sure your garden's secure. So what can be done in the future? Yes, I'd, I'd like to see really strong sentences, but I, I'd want to see what this pet um, theft task force, what the government's put into place. Um, you know what suggestions that they come up with to to you know outlaw this yeah because uh we were discussing beforehand that uh prior to the local elections the home secretary pretty patel was in uh in in york i think visiting a, a kennels and she, she she spoke about dog thefts and she said they were tragic and vowed to crack down on them and saying she she absolutely supports calls to make this a crime in its own right and obviously uh, I guess a, a task force is, is is a step on the road to achieving that. But you, just to be clear, you, you would like it to be 
considered a separate offence to just theft of a uh, of sort of a, an, an oh, inanimate yes. object. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, pets are part of people's family, aren't they? You know, they. I mean, my my two have the full run of the house. You know, they even sleep on the bottom of my bed. You know, they, um, and they offer so much companionship um, for those who haven't got families. So, you know, for to lose a dog. I mean, I remember growing up. Gosh, how old would I have been? About ten years old, and we had a a dog called Shadow, who actually was. Um, we had its mother and um and our our dog shadow went missing and we never found out where she went as well so and i still think about her to this day you you, you never forget it leaves a lasting mark when when a dog goes missing who's actually a family member so we 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 it's got to be seen as more than an object a thing this is um you know somebody who, who people hold close to their hearts yeah now I wanted to ask you about a, a related uh, issue on, on the animal welfare theme. And you're you're an ardent Brexiteer, that's no, no secret. And you recently wrote that Brexit will allow global Britain to lead the way on farm animal welfare standards. Can, can you explain uh, a bit more about what you what you meant by that? Yeah, I mean, um, I, as I said, looking at some of the issues with the EU, as I said earlier in the podcast, um, um, I mean, look, First of all, let's not forget, I mean, I think we're fourth in the world um, on animal welfare standards, um, third or fourth. And so we are up there with the best anyway. But but while we're as part of the EU, we couldn't be as good as we wanted. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I worked with um, Bill Oddy in Parliament on his campaign to ban fragois, which we couldn't do because of France um, it, it being a delicacy there. So, you know, having um, been free from the EU, it does uh, allow us to really start looking at, um, you know, our own practices and, and um, what we do here in the UK. Okay, I, I guess there'll be people uh, who are hearing that and they'll be saying well hang on when we when the uk signs a, a trade deal with australia or, or, or the us uh, uh, our animal welfare standards may may not change but we're going to be uh, opening the door to products that have come from a, an environment that has much lower animal welfare standards than we do um i mean obviously well, like, like about, the eu i'm afraid wasn't it <laughs> yeah yes. well i mean everyone, everyone i guess everyone talks about the the chlorinated chicken don't they in, in the can, US can i just say about chlorinated um chicken um um i've probably got an unusual view and i don't mind it being out there but to me chlorinated chicken is clean chicken my dad died from mrsa yeah um, when he caught an in infection. Me, I'd much rather have food what's been cleaned. So I think we actually need to blow the lid off. What does that actually mean as well? <laughs> is, my understanding with chlorinated chicken is that it's not the, the fact that it's chlorinated, which is the issue. It's the fact that the chlorination process sort of hides uh, defects or illnesses within within the, the chicken and that, that it's more of a sort of symptom of the, the poor welfare standards yeah. of the of, of the birds themselves but i mean what, what do you but, i mean here in the uk to... we have enough chickens to i mean i always believe that um you know food in general should have um the origin country of origin on there i i, I always believe that um for example even halal meat it should be labeled halal so people i believe in freedom of choice people should know what they're buying and what's going to be on their dinner plate um, but talking about um, Australia, um, well, we don't know what the trade deal's um, going to be yet. Um, we're going to know shortly. So I won't want to preempt on this because as we've seen, you know, with media and um, we often hear the hype of, of um, 
of issues and they don't materialise. So, and I know that, let's face it, we've got um, one of the um, not only greenest governments, but one of the gov best governments that has seen for a generation who, who's really tough on animal welfare. So I'd be very surprised if we actually um, adopt something that um, isn't within our keeping. I mean, I know there's a lot of... Um, misinformation out there i mean there was um an article in a national newspaper recently and and it was talking about feedlots for example which is actually grain-fed cattle um and in australia but um but we have such stuff like this um you know we have um these in the uk i've got some pictures here of um of some of our animals in the UK, you know, this is here in the UK where our our cows are all. It's it's not very good copy. It's on my printer, which I can send some of the pictures later if you're on. Where this is our animals um, here in the UK, where they, you know, they are closer to um, together when they're being fed, etc. But let's not. So there's a. We've got a lot in our own animal welfare standards to improve. Yes, we might be global leading, but we can still do so much more. But let's not forget, we can get some great beef as well. And I'm vegetarian. I mean, Australian do some of the best in the world of their grass-fed beef. So, as I said, I don't want to preempt it because we don't know what this trade deal is going to look like. But I'd be very shocked if if we're going to be, you know, bringing stuff in this country which is substandard to what we would sell ourselves. But I do believe in, um, you know, freedom of choice. But I do believe that stuff should be labelled. You must always know what you're buying. Yeah, well, I know there'll be a lot of farmers in uh, across across Yorkshire in our in our uh, rural rural areas who'll be keeping a keen eye on uh, what happens with these these trade deals. But um, Andrea Jenkins, and buy British you. as well. I'm very you know buy Yorkshire, buy British. I'm very keen for for us to do that wherever we can as well. Absolutely, we can all get behind that. I'm sure. Um, Andrea Jenkins, thank you very much for speaking to us. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Pods and Country this week. I've been Rob Parsons, the Yorkshire Post political editor. And if you've liked what you've heard, uh, do leave us a review on uh, Apple or Google or any of the uh, places that you get your podcast. And if you have a topic that you think we ought to be discussing uh, on uh, on this week's episode, then uh, do drop me an email at rob.parsons at jpimedia.co.uk or send me, a, send me a message on Twitter and I'll uh, look into it. Nice to chat to you and see you next week. Bye-bye.